For the Peterson Automotive Museum, this is Car Stories. Today I am joined with host of Top Gear on History, Rutledge Wood. Rutledge, thank you so much for coming out and doing the show. AJ, thanks for for finally making sure I I show up here. You've offered so many times. I I don't live in L.A., uh, and I just don't have the chance to get out here so much. But thank you for always inviting me and saying, hey, you really have a home here. Come on by. I'm so excited. This is my first time to the Peterson. Even before... We re uh, wrote totally before we the have never made it before. Well, cool. We're going to give you a full tour after. So I'm excited. I think uh, I think we're going to have one or two things I'll probably like to see. Oh my gosh! Um, I got so much to talk to you about. Uh, not just nerdy car stuff, but uh, <laughs> you and you know what kind of got you here and where did this all come from? But we'll start with the very beginning. Is what is your earliest automotive memory? Ooh, earliest automotive memory. Man, that's a tough one. I I don't know at what point that I really understood like how cool cars were, but my parents had a, a nineteen seventy nine Volvo wagon that they called Helga, and as a kid I rode around in that. And in Alabama, it did not have air conditioning, it did not have power steering, and my mom hated driving it. But my dad really enjoyed the car. I'm not sure if that's where my sort of internal love for the station wagon came from. But Mm -hmm. I remember riding around in that, and they had a 83 diesel rabbit four-door. And I remember riding around in the back of that and just thinking, this car shakes violently all the time because it was a diesel. That was, I think those are, those two just incredibly hot Alabama summers were like the first real childhood memories I have of cars. But it was my dad that got me into cars. He grew up on Route 66 in New Mexico, a little town called Morarity, which is about uh, 30 miles outside Albuquerque. And his dad had a International Harvester John Deere and a Napa Auto Parts all in one One sort of strip. And they also ran the Wrecker service. And it was uh, Valley Motors was the name of the company that they had. So my dad grew up going with his dad to pull cars out of ditches and, and, you know, be be that kind of family where, yeah, okay, you wrecked it, come on over here, we've got parts, we've got everything. So he was flipping cars at 13, 14 years old, and that's really what got me into it. And the funny part is that my love of cars has so greatly surpassed his because his was was very much that time and period, and, and having a son, he, it was something that that – you know, we really hit it off talking about cars and going to car shows, and then I just sort of ran with it. It, it is funny because I, I'm sort of the same way as where my father got me into cars, and he, when he was younger, he had a lot of Porsches, and that's what really got me into cars. But now I'm so much further into it to the point where I go, Oh, you're not even into cars. Right. <laughs> you know, like. You don't care what you drive. You don't want to buy anything old. You're, and, you know, and I'm and maybe just in this world, we're just. I always say there's no normal car guy. Sure, um, we're all a little weird, but you know, it it is funny when you just completely eclipse it. It's like they've made a monster. Right. Did you? So were you into? Were you and your dad fixing up cars and also flipping them when you were growing up? No, which is what's crazy is that we always had this idea that we wanted to build a car together, but it just never it really worked out to to happen. But uh, like my dad had a eighty um 
Mercedes 240D, so it was a four-speed diesel, and it would do like 70 miles an hour if you had extra oil because you were going to just start burning oil on that thing going that fast. But that's what he had for most of my childhood, and I think it got wrecked when it had like 600,000 miles on it, and he was heartbroken, crushed. And then he had a series of other turbo diesel Mercedes. But we we never really... um, never really worked on cars that much together. He would always help me when I started buying junky stuff and cleaning up and working on it. He would help me and 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 that was something that we've always kind of done together. But now it's it's you sort of flash forward to like I I've taken him on the Hot Rod Power Tour with me before and I I just invited him again the other day. It's one of those things where he kind of had to th- kind of has to think about it because it's a it's a pretty intense if you're not road trip, if you're if that's not what you're dying to do, <laughs> you, it might be a punishment for most people. It's a great way to put that. I mean, if like if you're it's like SEMA, if you're not dying to go to SEMA, you are dying to not go to SEMA. I mean, yes, for the regular person, it is not something that they understand why we would be the least bit into. Right. What did you think you were going to do growing up? Because you had a, a passion for cars, but you probably didn't think. Oh, I'm going to host American Top Gear. Yeah, that was not that, that definitely was not on the radar. There was there was many years where um I think everybody in the family thought I was going to be a lawyer because I was really good at at debate. Uh, I took a bunch of debate classes at school and I was pretty good at that. Uh but I knew that I didn't want to be in school longer than I needed to. And for me it was kind of always I had two trains and it was cars and people. And I knew that those were the two things that I liked most. And I thought, all right, I'll give the, uh, I'll try to figure out how I can be on TV because that's what you know. I grew up watching Chris Farley and David Spade and those guys on Saturday Night Live, and I thought, like, man, this is amazing what they do and and how they make people smile and just have so much fun. That's what I want to do with my life. And I I decided that I'll go to school. The most non-specific business major I could come up with, since general business was gone at that point, was marketing. So I went to school for marketing at Georgia, and, and one of my friends... General business sounds like a degree you would get when they have just a TV commercial in yes. the middle of the day. Like, get your degree in general business. General business. Or learn to work on a helicopter or right. in a doctor's world. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it could be anything. It could be anything. I got a friend who said, I turned to him in one of my, in one of my marketing classes, like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to do a car show. I'm going to make a show about cars. It'll be fun. And I was like, well, I said that? He's like, yeah, you don't remember that senior year? Like, I did not. I did not remember that. But I, I decided I was going to figure out how to get on TV and make people smile, or I would go back to school and get some sort of teaching certificate so I could go be like a high school counselor or like a youth minister or something to where – now, you would know that from my potty mouth on the show, but um, – yeah, I knew something to where I was. A, this is going to shock you, AJ. A little bit of a weird kid. Okay. Yeah. Right. Hold you, on. Hold on. Hold on. The room's spinning. I know. Okay. I, now I'm in that mindset. It's so much to take in. Turns out my parents were were really awesome and made sure I knew it's okay that that you're not just like everybody else. Like that's not a problem. But turns out now it's just a different world. There's not near as many you know, two parent families that are around like they were then to say like, it's okay that you're terrible at most sports that are popular. I see that you're decent at skateboarding because there's only three skateboarders in town. So relative to the (laughs) other two, you're not bad. 
Oh, you're really good at Frisbee, which isn't going to be popular for several more years. Good for you. It is good when your parents are brutally honest with you. Mm-hmm. I, I do remember being picked up from Little League practice, uh, and this is going to come as a shock to you. I didn't excel at most sports. And I asked my dad if I, if I really tried, like if I really, really practiced, could I go pro? <laughs> and he did not, and I'm all of seven, did not miss a beat with nope. Just, just you know what? Nope, <laughs> not a chance. So I don't want to crush your dreams, but I want to. I want to shine the light on reality. Yeah, no is the answer. Yeah, not not even in the slightest. So no, but it is good. I mean, I, you know, you you have your family from early on tell you what you're not good at, mm-hmm. so you can focus on what you are good at. That's it. I played soccer when soccer wasn't cool. You know, I I, I ran my gamut of soccer. And then I played one season of fall ball, which is baseball in the fall. Turns out that's when everybody that's good at baseball is playing a different sport. Mm. So, so it's all the, all the other kids? Yes. So I got up to bat, and I got an in-the-park home run my first at bat because I just kept running, and they just kept overthrowing the ball. And that happened to also be my last game because my dad was like, i got to be honest, this is worse than not playing baseball at all. <laughs> Is playing baseball in this league right not now? Play you sh- just should not do this. I was like, okay, Dad, cool. I thought they <laughs> so, sucked too. So, when you, you're going to school for marketing, how did it then turn into you were talking about you worked for country music before this? Yeah, well, not right before this, but outside of college. So, what was your transition uh, into the working world? One of my friends, Matt Morgan. Uh, that I was in class with at Georgia had done an internship at CMT and country music television at the time was still this like huge, you know, it was still music television as a general was still like a thing. Right. And CMT had a bunch of original programming. They were out of Nashville. They're owned by uh, MTV and Viacom. They still are. But he said, Oh, well, they're going to do this big mobile marketing program. You might like it. Here's somebody's name. I said, great. Ended up with an interview, went up there, had a great time. Uh, and so that's what I did. It was a six month program. It ended up running like eight months and then it probably could have gone another month or two longer. I quit ironically because I didn't want to travel so much. And that's funny because all I've done in the past 12 years is travel almost every single you're, week. You're on, you've been following NASCAR. You're yes. Top Gear is taking you different places. You're yes. almost never home. Right. Way, gone way too much. So after, basically after CMT, I, I basically started flipping cars again because I was flipping cars all through college once I lost my scholarship. Uh, in Georgia, we have this thing called the Hope Scholarship, which is where the lottery pays for your school if you have a B average or better. And I did really great at Georgia State for the first year and a half. Then when I transferred up to Georgia, I went from dean's list to academic probation in just two short semesters. Hey, well, not everyone can say that. Yeah, name that tune. So sold my car so I could pay for school and then started flipping cars. So I started flipping cars as we were getting married. And then everybody's like, you know, now that you're married, you should get a real job. And I was like, okay, fine. So I started working at Hertz. Uh, not at like an airport rent car, but it was a little local edition thing. And I was miserable, but I still have a very strong work ethic. So I was like hating work every single day and winning sales awards because I still knew I needed to be good at what I was doing, yeah. even if I didn't like it. And then one day I just decided like, I can't, um, I can't do this anymore. So I just need to put in my resignation. And the guy's like, oh, cool. So is this your two weeks? I was like, no, I was just going to go get – I've got a couple pens over there, and then I was just going to walk out <laughs> to my car. 
So I quit. And then the next day started showing up at a radio station that we knew somebody who worked there. And I said, could I come watch you do your show? And basically just went every morning, watch this guy do it, and uh, and started helping out in little ways. And they offered me a part-time job. I took that and worked like 60 hours a week, and they gave me a that, full-time job. that's a job. part-time job at a radio station. Yeah, it is, right? Yeah. And then I worked a, a full-time job there, which was like probably like 80 hours a week. And by uh, the way, you're not getting paid for all these Oh, my hours. gosh. I could have been I could have been a, a pizza delivery guy and felt like I was living like ludicrous. Yeah. You know, like it would have been just cash everywhere. You just had no money at all. And my wife, of course, like working normal hours. I left there and went to open this club with a friend. And she said, you can do all the marketing, and, and I like to sing. And so she said, you can host karaoke, do all this other stuff. And I did that. Each of these things, your radio station, um, Hertz, CMT, everything, it was always like eight months was that magic window for me. And I, and, and I would kind of figure out like, hey, I don't think this is getting close enough to what I want to do. Radio really helped me understand that, um, that relationship with the audience. And then when I worked at the club, my friend Yvonne, that was the owner, she really helped me understand how you like whip a crowd into shape as an MC and like how you get them to go places with you. So one day I was like, you know what? I'm in a smoky bar every day. I don't smoke. I'm not very good at drinking. I definitely don't drink after work. And I'm going home and my wife's like working a normal job. I'm getting home at three in the morning. This stinks. I got on Craigslist and that's how I found my job with Speed Channel. Really? There was just a, hey, we need someone on camera. It was a, it was a, and it was super vague. It was National Motorsports Network needs a person that can be an on-site marketing rep and be an MC. And I was like, well, I went to school for marketing. I know how to rock a crowd. I think this is for me. I think this is my calling. And that was your cover letter. And that was it. It was basically <laughs> that in a nutshell. I drove up to Charlotte, had what I thought was the worst interview ever. There were two people in there, a guy and a gal. The gal basically never looked up. She ended up being my boss for the next two years great um but yeah it basically was was a and then it was again that's like the tiniest pay ever like then the radio station was like a hundred dollars more it was just again it's so brutal the payment but it's all about understanding i knew that that was one shot closer and yeah. so yeah it turns out i was like a t-shirt tosser and i would go and i'd get the crowds pumped up and i would ride around the campgrounds for speed channel and tell people hey here's when we're having these shows and i bring everybody out I had a great time, and they started noticing the crowds would hang out with me when there wasn't anything going on, and they thought, like, all right, well, maybe this kid's good at talking to people. Maybe there's something here, and I just kept begging them to put me on air, and they finally gave me a shot the next year, and then I still had to do my, like, same emceeing job and all the marketing, and then I would go, and I would shoot different pieces every couple weeks and then come back to the stage and keep doing my normal thing. And then in, that was uh, 05 was the first year, 06 was doing both. And then 07 just moved to doing TV. The crazy thing was that Top Gear found me. Our original executive producer, a guy named John Hessling, British producer, was watching everybody that had been on cars, been on TV for cars in the U.S. in like the last 10 years. And he found a clip on YouTube. That Which are, had to have been a lot of people. There's a lot of people, yeah. if you think about it. I mean, there's tons of people that have done car shows. I mean, it's sort of in the height <clears throat> of Speed Channel. Yeah, there was a ton of different shows oh, yeah. and with the Chip Fooses and all the maybe not as many you know restoration type shows as sure. there is now, but there was a lot of commentating and sports. Oh and yeah, analysis still and a ton of them. Yeah. And and he found this clip that a race fan had loaded up 
onto YouTube illegally from race day that I did, and it was me and John Schneider from the Dukes of Hazard when he was the Grand Marshal at Atlanta Motor Speedway. And we were riding around in a Charger, and I kept asking about sure you were. Daisy, and uh, I did. I, I would not refer to her as her actress, and I would only refer to him as Bo. I never broke that character, but uh, I kind of implied that they may have been more than friends and not first cousins, so things were totally cool, mm-hmm. and uh, and that made this producer laugh, and I got a phone call like, hey, would you like to talk to the BBC about doing it? TV show. I thought it was a friend prank calling me or someone trying to sell me something. Were you aware of what Top Gear was at the time? Yes, and I was probably over aware. I knew that they had shot the pilot for NBC. I knew Tanner was a part of it. I knew really? Corolla was a part so of it. So you weren't a part of the original the original Correct. I was not a part of the NBC pilot that they did. And I can I can tell you never seeing it, I know exactly why it didn't work. It didn't work because, because it didn't have you? No, but, is that but what you thank want to tell you. Them? No, I, I, and Carol is a great guy. The reason I believe not seeing it, the reason it didn't work, is the same reason we saw the studio didn't work in the first season. They took too literally to the idea of what that UK show is, and you can't mimic those three guys. That was never going to be a possibility. And so when they when they brought me in to interview, they said, "Well, what do you think are going to be the hurdles?" I said, it's people like me that love the UK show. Because I do, I, I've seen the show, I've seen, I think, every single show. Uh, I may have missed two this last season, but I've always loved the show. Well, you know? and the weird thing <clears throat> is, you know, there's, I guess there, I don't know how many, but there's Top Gears in all, tons of different countries. There there's, were. There, I guess there there aren't any more. Last but Top Gear standing. It wasn't, <clears throat> it wasn't, it's not like it's impossible for us to watch a British show. It's not, right. you know, it, there was days of. Okay, this show was big in Europe, and now we create a new show or the game show we brought out here. But we all watched Top Gear. They spoke right. our language. They right. talked about every now and then we had to go, okay, 100 kilometers an hour, 62 sure. miles an hour. That was that was the hardest part. We didn't really need one. Right. And then when the show came out, I think everybody's response was, this is just the exact same thing. Right. And it took. I think it took people time to realize that the – the core idea of Top Gear is three people and cars, or now multiple people, but cars and people and that relationship with the road and whatever it is you're doing and the fact that it's always supposed to come back to having a good time. Well, and it did sort of morph, um, and it has become a completely different show than sure. Top Gear. So it it really it almost does it a disservice to name it Top Gear because it's a – you can watch both and not know they're related at all. Totally. And you, there's so many people that wouldn't ever believe that, that there was a huge amount of the population here that said, oh, I saw y'all's show first, and then I started watching this other one of these guys, I guess, from the UK. Like, oh, really? You wouldn't believe how many times I heard that. Part of the whole phenomenon and why, I can't lie, we knew we were going to catch a lot of flack at first. Some of that was was due because we were willing to be the three dudes that were like, yeah, we're going to make our own Top Gear. So I get that. The other part that was kind of not not coming to us was the the sense of like the we just label them as fanboys, but the people that coveted Top Gear UK and thought it was super special and it was like, oh, it's my own little pretty pet. Those people didn't understand that that show was still one of the most viewed shows in the world. Yeah. So it's the classic, like, I don't like my band. I I like this band until they get signed and get popular. Except that people didn't realize they had already been signed and they were already popular. And it wasn't 
this super secret thing, but it took them a long time before they finally realized it. And by the time they did, then they realized like we weren't trying to be the three of them. We were just the three people that were lucky enough to get to go do these crazy adventures. And I mean, the stuff we've done on that show, some of your favorite adventures, it's hard to not think about the fact when we closed down the Nurburgring for three hours and got to just go play. I mean, that, that was like living in a video game. I can't, I can't, it was hard to process turn after turn and think, how does someone like Sabine have these corners memorized? Because there's a million of them and I'm going so damn fast. I can't process, you know, apex to brakes to, oh crap, I got to get on the gasket. I mean, it was just, it was amazing. It was one of those things where you just mentally, you feel exhausted afterwards, but in the best possible way. Mm -hmm. Um, Trying to cross Lake Ontario in an amphibious car. That was seven long hours. The fact that we still never found Adam's Jeep. It's down there somewhere with tons of camera equipment well, on it. Let people know sort of what is a a typical day. <clears throat> because, you know, I, I guess a lot of people would go, oh, there's no way they're really sleeping in their cars like that. Or, well, they're out in the middle of the woods, but there's a huge crew that we don't see sure but what i think people forget is you're still out in the middle of the woods you're still in oh, the yeah. cold you're still in the elements you have long days on oh set, my gosh they're they're insane and, and adam mcfarland one of our producers is sitting here with me today came came down but it, it, i mean we anything you see the the real concept is we do it start to finish whatever it is and they let us know as little as possible because they wanted us to experience stuff at the same time as the audience. So there have been trips when we knew very, very little. And there have been trips when we were, you know, we were looking for the cars on Craigslist ourselves. Since I live in Atlanta, I would say, okay, this is the car that I want. Here's three different versions. Can you send someone to go drive them? And, and if it's decent, buy it. So I think like one time we were trying to, to go 150 miles an hour, um, and I needed a Q45 Infinity. It took like the 12th one that we looked at before we could buy it because they all had these weird injector issues. So okay. there's like it, it's it's a fascinating thing. But basically, we would get up and there's there's three main cameras. There would be usually an assistant camera for each one of them, so it's a person lugging all their junk. Three of us, uh, usually a, a director, um, a producer, and an audio guy. And then one person ballsy enough to be the 5D guy who would just stick his face out in front of crap that you would never want to do and have cars flying at them at a rapid pace. But essentially, the producer and the director always knew what was going to happen. And they like we didn't know about the challenges ahead of time. Um, we wouldn't necessarily know where we, where we were going. They would just say, like, okay, so... Uh, these are your cars, and uh, you need to head to Tallahassee. And you're like, okay. Were you ever allowed, or did you ever just want to say no? I mean, did something come up where you just went, Yes. This is too much. It's not going to make for good TV. I'm uncomfortable. I just want to go home. Yeah, and then everyone laughs at you. Sure. Um, there was one time in that same show where we were trying to go 150 miles an hour. They put a gigantic um, helmet on us. It's like a big... Um, Looked like a fishbowl turned upside down, and then they dropped rats in the helmets. It was the most like fear factor thing. They had a rodent wrangler who looked like the comic book guy from The Simpsons, and that's probably that should have been my first indicator. You mean the rodent wrangler didn't fly in from his yacht in Monaco? No, he just he just drove a Scion. 
with his ponytail. And oh, that's almost as surprising as you <clears throat> tell me you were a weird kid. I know, right? There he was. The guy who wrangles rodents for a living. Are you the creator of Higher and Lowest? Because you were making me laugh. <laughs> he was... That's one of those times when I was just, I, I think when they finally, one of the rats, I swear he was screaming because he was caught behind my head. You were there for that, right? It was awful. And the, 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 just the terror that was in my eyes and my face was so real that once they pulled off, I just kind of laid on the ground for about 15 minutes to just kind of just, just chill out because that was, that was one of those ones that's not fun at all. I think they tried to get me to go skydiving for something, and I was like, yeah, yeah. Not going to happen. I don't jump out of good airplanes. but um, And I, you know what's weird? I was watching something yesterday on online. I think it was People Are Awesome. Great, great follow on Facebook. And it was the first time in my life I thought, man, maybe maybe skydiving would be fun. But I think I, I, the reason it would be the most scary is because I, I can't see without these glasses, and there's no chance that I would see anything. It would just be... I just closed my eyes for three minutes outside. What's the difference, you know? Just push well, push me off my roof. We could just we could just roll the window down in the car. Yeah, I won't. And you'll get the same feeling. Yeah, I won't know any different at all. But I mean, they were they were crazy long days. Alaska was each time we went to Alaska was just such an epic experience. You, you know, we just don't get up there enough. Being from the the lower forty eight here, it's just not something you you venture and do very much. But. It was so beautiful. There's so many times when we camped out and it was brutal and you just can't do anything about it. But it's also what what made our like Top Gear family so close. I mean, we had the same producers, same camera, same everything for for we've done 72 shows when these 10 air that we just finished. That's that's five years of our lives together doing these crazy things. Mm -hmm. Almost none of us went to jail almost yeah just a couple nameless but um n none that you would see on tv but nobody's uh, hurt nobody's adam got hurt i got hurt i don't think Ta tanner got hurt he might have hurt his uh his pinky or something he's gentle he's got gentle wrists now what about what about the cars you're into because we talked about <clears throat> and I, I think this is what i find most surprising about you you're might be looking at a Nissan Skyline a little bit later. Yes, an R32. Uh, you own a Toyota Century. I do. I own a 1990 Toyota Century right-hand drive Japanese limousine. And I, I don't, I don't want to, I don't know, make a stereotype. But mm, please. Most guys from the South not into the awkward Japanese cars. Right. You have a nerdy, not even just cool Japanese cars. You like the weird. Japanese I do. Cars. I think. Well, it's really. I just like weird cars in general. I like cars that speak to me. Like you, you'll. I don't think you'll ever find me with an F one fifty. Okay. Not a thing in the world wrong with them. I just don't. I just, there's just plenty of sheep in that flock. I yeah. just don't need to be one. So you like sort of the underdog cars. Always. You know, I had a Subaru three sixty van that we built on Lost in Transmission. That was so much fun, and we basically turned into a golf cart, and then it was just fast enough and sketchy enough that I was like, all right, this is a little scary. I'm going to sell that before I get hurt in sure. it. Sure. But, you know, the the Century is such a neat car, because it, there's something about cars that we never had here that kind of ups that ante and makes it feel a little bit more special. The Skyline is a car that I've I've respected for so long on paper, and the fact that now with the 25-year import rule we can have one of those here it's kind of hard to not want to just dive in and and experience that and and 
be a part of that yeah. kind of feeling and understanding because it was a car that so many other parts of the world got to enjoy, but and it's a car we've only read about. Yeah, exactly. You know, you'd see one at a show somewhere. And now you can have them here. And the cool thing is that, you know, um, I got the limo through importervehicle.com, which is out of Ontario. Um, there is the uh, Japanese, what's her name, in Richmond, that uh, Doug DeMuro got his skyline from. Japanese legends? or No, they have Japanese parts specialties, and then it's the sister company of that. I feel bad, I can't remember. But the, it's it's the fact that you can go and you can test drive a car like that that we never had here um like there's a nissan pal sitting somewhere right now that i want to buy okay i don't need that japanese classics well none none of us need any of this right that's the hard part i'd rather have six like five thousand dollar cars than one thirty thousand dollar car i can't explain why that is uh no i i think i i think i understand it i mean i do understand it because i you know I daydream of when I pay off my Ford Focus. Yeah. You know, and everyone goes, well, my mother goes, you're going to have a paid off car. Drive around a paid off nice car. It's going to get you to point A to point B. And I go, no, I'm going to sell that and go buy something stupid with it. Yes, exactly. I cannot wait to sell my perfectly good car and go buy an old Land Cruiser or go buy, you know, just something dumb that I don't need. I think part of it is that I feel like on this, on this, like, there's almost an automotive bucket list of cars that I want to experience in my life. And so part of the reason, like, I bought a 510 that was under this guy's porch for 20 years. The rear end's locked up. I have to use Gojax to move it because I haven't had time to break the rear end loose. But some part of me thinks, man, if I could build a little, and not, I don't mean like a BRE style, like something crazy, but if I could just build a fun vintage style racer out of that man wouldn't that be fun and then i think okay and then i'd probably finish it and then i'd sell it like right now i'm building a 72 toyota hilux pickup that i got in trade for the monster bmw that we had on the show that tanner drove in texas it was an e30 on a 89 toyota 4x4 frame and i just didn't want to wire up all the lights so i traded it for this hilux fixed it up and uh and i'm just like super jazzed about it but i know i'll probably drive it for a couple months and then sell it because part of it is that feeling of like i took something i made it a little better and now i'm going to pass it on and i want to see someone else enjoy it so what is sort of left on your automotive bucket list either either i i, I want two answers from you okay uh car wise something you want to pick up or fix up or you right. have an idea for a project and then life wise what you know an episode you want to go do or an event you want to go to or something you want to host or experience okay that's a good one um, still want to have a CTSV wagon one day. Have you driven one? Manual. I have loved them. They are, they do not disappoint. Delightful cars. Um, I still, I, I have love for a early eighties, nine eleven Targa. Okay. And I don't totally know why Tanner always thought the Targa was like the wife's car. Uh, and Tanner is certainly the nine eleven guy amongst the three of us. I didn't, I, I didn't grow up around them. There weren't a ton in, in Birmingham where we lived. So it was always a car that I kind of appreciated from afar and, and obviously seeing the values of what, you know, some of the 930s and, and just in the 993s and just everything. holy cow. They're all, everything's expensive now. And it's, and it's not, it's one of those things that I get, I think it's totally fictitious. I think it's the same thing that happened with Mopars a few years ago mm-hmm. where Barrett Jackson was selling stuff so that everybody who had a car in their backyard was like, well, this must be a $100,000 yeah. car. 
It's not. If a tree is growing in it, it's not a $100,000 car. And, and as much as I love Porsches, there's no shortage of them. Right. There, there's, there, they made and will continue to make yeah. tons and tons of yeah. them. Yeah, the 911 so they're not the rarest cars in the world. Yeah, exactly. But it's to me, it's a car that I would want to get. I mean, the RWB Porsche is something that I've been fascinated with since the first time I saw um, Nikai's uh, uh, Stella in Japan that was in a magazine. Then Mark Arsenal from Fat Lace and Illis brought him here and had Nikai build the first one over here, the Pandora. And I've watched those cars being built. And there's a lot of people who I'm sure don't understand, like, why would this wide-bodied 911 be this really cool thing? And when you see what goes into it and how he handcrafts the cars and puts everything together, to me, like, that's a total, that's a total dream car. And I know that some people look at it and think it's absurd. I think they're perfect. Like, I think they are just the craziest thing each one is different, and they're the craziest thing I've ever seen each time. Okay. So, so an, an RWB 911 has to be on that list. Um, but, you know, the, the like the road trip, the, the kind of thing, I've still never run at Bonneville. We tried to go this season on Top Gear. It was flooded. Uh, I definitely want to do that. I haven't taken anything crazy up the... Um, Mm, it's on my side of the country. I should know this one. Uh, Virginia. No, it's Dragon's Tail. Dragon. Last time, last time I went up uh, Tail of the Dragon, I was in a, I was in my 08 Tundra because my STI was uh, was leaking fluid, so I couldn't take it. But I need to take something else fun up there, even though it's it's just tight enough, and it's incredibly sketchy with the big trucks that still run up there. Uh, but I want to take something fun up there. I just got a Lexus GSF, which is really fun. So I'm, I may have to go that way to Bristol uh, in the fall just to make it. But there's so many cool roads and so many cool trips that can still be taken mm-hmm. out there. I think there's always going to be, you know, a, a road trip we want to do. So like like your car projects, you'll have an idea, <clears throat> you'll conquer it, and move on to the next one. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, everybody, uh, make sure you tune in to – this will be season six of Top Gear. Season five, believe season it or not. Season five of Top Gear on History airing later this year. Yes. Real soon if you follow me on the Twitters, on the Facebook and such. Uh, what What is your Facebook and Twitter it's for people? It's at Rutledge Wood. That makes sense. It's just my name. Uh, that does make sense. There probably wasn't another Rutledge Wood out there. No. Before. Would you believe my website is therutledgewood.com? Because a guy in Denton, Texas, who has a wood flooring company whose last name is Rutledge, owns rutledgewood.com. That's great. He has no website <laughs> and he doesn't want to sell it, but damn it, he's got the domain. <laughs> that, True story. That is probably the best note we could go out on. Uh, Rutledge, thank you so much for coming in. Hey, thanks for having me. Mm-hmm.